welcome back to episode three of series two yeah. of Love's Labour's Watched. We're still going. We're still going. As, you know. as somebody, one of our fans said, uh, <laughs> I love how you use the word fans, one of our listeners <laughs> said um, that it had been a long break but a strong start. Ooh, who yeah. was that? Can we, no, don't, tell me later who that was. Um, but yeah, hello everybody. Uh, how are you? I hope you're good. We're good. I'm good. Are you good, Francesca? Yeah. yeah uh, we haven't been up to a whole lot this week. Uh, I went to see Book of Mormon yesterday, for, or is the third time, and it was just as, I think it was actually funnier. Oh, really? Yeah, it was somehow funnier because... What the is... cast had great comedic timing and yeah. yeah, and I knew I knew kind of what was coming, so I could really appreciate it. I wonder if it's also like you know when you yeah I was gonna say like when you when you watch if you watch like an old episode of a comedy show you really like mm. and you know a joke is coming it's You're almost like it. funnier mm-hmm. because you see it like leading up to yeah, it. Yeah, I really choked laughing, but it was it was great. Everyone had like a real party atmosphere. Oh, that's nice. It was like it was kind of like it was literally like um, being at a pantomime, but it wasn't pantomime in terms of the way the show goes. But everyone was like. Everyone was like kind of boogieing in their seats and was like cheering and yeah, people were loving it. So oh, that's nice. it was yeah. a really fun atmosphere. And my best friend went to see it, had had never seen it before, mm. and she hadn't wanted to see it for ages. So she had a great first night. Um, other than that, um, yeah, what have you been up to, fan? Well, we actually both went to the Tate Modern mm. on Saturday. My pal Izzy, shout out to Izzy. Yeah. Hey Izzy. Izzy, who said she was never going to listen to the podcast. Yeah, screw, screw you, Izzy. You're she, never going to hear she was this. Honest, so. That's fair. Um, yeah, we didn't hold that against her. Um, no, I did. But. So there was, yeah, they have an exhibition at the moment, um, which is called One, Two, Three Swing, oh. which is basically just a lot of swings in the big turbine hall where you first walk mm. in. Um, and it's supposed to be subversive. Because they're all three-person swings. You have to swing. Yeah. You can swing alone, but or you subvert the expectations of swinging of alone when you swing in a three. It was quite fun. They were like, you know, subvert gravity, subvert yeah. social norm. I mean, yeah. to be perfectly honest... I would go for the swinging. You know what I mean? <laughs> Love like, the swinging, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's not like, it's not like you're really appreciating the art. You are more appreciating yeah. the fact you get to swing. But it was yeah, really great. Was also because like, when you got off the swing, there was always somebody ready to like, come and like, take the swing and go there to have their turn. Yeah. Like, you know, you got off a little kid ran up and was like, hooray! And it's like, it's sweet. Like, you know, yeah. you're on the swing every nice time you get off and someone else gets to And, and swing. it was, you know, it was it was very much encouraged that everyone do it. It wasn't just for children, but it also it wasn't like just for adults or something. It was very like no, it was interchangeable. Good. You yeah. can swing both ways. You can swing forward, you can swing backwards. You can turn around. Which we did do. We yeah, did. We, we swung. Yeah, yeah. Flan sat one way and I sat the other and we, it's actually, it wasn't, it wasn't too difficult, was no, it? No, surprisingly not. Yeah, so, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's getting colder here in London as well, so. So we're looking forward to oh my gosh winter wonderland is opening up soon near where i live and i'm just like jazzed and near where you live too yeah, so jazzed yeah. jazzed so that's what's up with us um not a whole lot but obviously as we said last week we're gonna be talking about stranger things we're very this excited this week which um obviously the second series the most hotly awaited season you know on netflix's roster of shows yeah um came out october on halloween didn't it October 27th, I think. So near Halloween. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's near Halloween. Um, and the show is set around Halloween as well, so they clearly planned that. Mm. Prior to it coming out, it was so hyped. Um, the, the previous series had come out in, all, I think it actually came out in like July or August. And yeah. it was a bit of a like slow burn of 2016, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Topshop on Oxford Street in London had this big like pop-up thing. Yeah, with people. Which we went yeah. to, and it was like intense. Like, yeah. people 
pretend to be doing like the mind experiment from the first thing, season which we didn't do it was so um, amusing seeing like there's like this like, crowd of people like you know watching outside the main front window of top shop seeing yeah. people like crush coke cans like very immersive i quite like the very kind of immersive. guerrilla marketing there yeah definitely and i thought it was interesting that they did so much marketing given that the show was so we i mean everyone already, knew, everyone knew about everybody it. watches it you know yeah um, but that's that's what i love about the show so much actually like what happens this is a, a, a my problem with margaret atwood actually one of the things is that everyone is like alias grace the handmaid's tale um you know she's i i, I don't like to think that she's a great a great we should probably just preface this by like Helena earlier was telling me how she didn't want to read anything by Margaret Atwood. Oh god, and it's not so. because I don't think she's good, it's more because it's like Donna Tart, for example, who wrote The Secret History or The Goldfinch. Um, everyone just goes on and it's like, they're so great, they're so great, they're so great, blah 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 blah, it just makes me not want to do it. Um, with Margaret Atwood, I feel she's been so talked about that I'm just getting a bit sick of it. Nothing, nothing, no hate on you Margaret Atwood, you're awesome, I know this, but it's more the, the over... Talk the over. I feel oversaturated with Margaret so Atwood stuff. Feel like that with Stranger Things. I didn't, um, and I think because obviously the first season I joined onto it when I already. I think I may have watched it like late December last year, or maybe mm. maybe later than that. So, but I was really impressed by. I was really sold on the fact that it didn't get a lot of hype. It was a kind of dark horse of a show. Yeah, oh definitely. You know, with the ch- children cast, and it's a bit you know and all the kind of like dinky music and that kind of thing and the fact that like it was word of mouth like Margaret Atwood it feels kind of top down for me that we're getting like um, adaptations and more books and recoverings of all her old books and it's kind of everywhere for me while for Stranger Things I was really into it because I kind of felt that it came to me by word of mouth like all my friends said that it was great and it wasn't like you know, Netflix have these really interesting algorithms they're sort of letting people into where they sort of show you how they get people to watch the show by classing it in four different ways, yeah. depending on who watches, how you watch things, and then pushing it to you that way. And I feel like Netflix, you know, with Stranger Things, for me, it was very inoffensive. It was very, like, you might like this, and... I guess... I think and the show that... itself is so, has so much heart as well, anyway. I was going to say, I think that also gave it this, like, degree of cool. Mm. Of, like, you know, I cool remember... Cool kids watch it, yeah. The, my brother um, was like one of the first people I knew who watched it, and he he, he was watching it when I hadn't even heard of it, you know. Mm. Um, and then more and more people were kind of telling me they'd watched it, and I think that is quite appealing because you feel like you're in on like a secret. Yeah. However, what I would say is that I bet a lot of people who haven't seen the first series at all, the second series, currently feel like it's. I, been I feel about Margaret Atwood. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they do because they pushed the second series like hard yeah I love the trailer though to the Jack- Michael Jackson's thriller oh, I love that trailer yeah so well we should get into it get into yeah. the details so as we said a lot of people we know watch the show mm. um, so we have some so we did get viewer some, thoughts some listener questions listener, yeah so um, oh, I would say more thoughts actually and observations so um, mm. do we want to start which one should we start with um, I think the Bob thing okay so Ashley shout out to Ashley hi Ashley uh, she said um, that so she really enjoyed the series and one of the things that she was quite struck by was the handling of Barb's you know demise so Barb dies in season one uh, are we just going to assume by the way that you know the plot I'll write in the description as well yeah, saying spoilers yeah. guys so Barb dies as we know in season one and justice for Barb turned into this huge like crazy internet meme like there was was, like t-shirts and there's loads of like themed merch and she was on snl doing a skit about barb coming back from the dead like she rose from the pond and i think it's because the pool didn't she yeah i think it's because everybody has been barb in that situation where she's at 
Steve's house. What fifth wheeling? And yeah. Nancy's like hooking up with Steve, and you, when you feel like your friend's doing something that you maybe like don't disapprove yeah, of, yeah, I agree with, and and you've been asked by them to look after you. You've been asked by them to look after them, but then Nancy very quickly turns like, and is like, no, home. I'm fine, I'm yeah. fine. So I think everyone related to that, and then she like died. And whereas Will was obviously the you know focus of the season was finding Will, no one was hugely fussed about finding Bob. Well, um, Nancy found out. Nancy went after her, but Nancy found out she was dead in like the last penultimate episode when Eleven was in the decentral. Yeah. Time. So although Nancy was upset, she was quite distracted at that point with like finding what else Will. was going on. Yeah. And so, I will say, like Bob was before we get to our Ashley's daughters. Bob was very very dead, like. Eleven saw her and she was like, "Yeah, it was oozing. pretty graphic." Like, yeah. And I'm pretty sure what happened. You know, Will was having the life sucked out of him by the doodad when they found him. But I'm pretty was. sure that had happened to Barb already. Uh, yeah, I think so. And I and kind like, of think they set her up as the character in the horror movie who gets killed early on. And also, like you know, the Demogorgon gets quite a lot of people. And like Nancy's and Nancy's story is really prefaced, uh, really driven even in the second season too about with Bob's death and disappearance. And there's no... I never thought to myself, oh, Reb, Bob, hope Bob is actually alive. Whereas Ashley... Ashley is yeah, different. So, thought, Ash, so Ashley said to me um, that she had lots of theories. And I was like, oh, what are your theories? And mm. she said one of them was she didn't think that Bob was dead. She said there's no way they can just give her a funeral out of the blue. So she thought the fact that they're in the second series, Nancy and Jonathan, who in the first series, I would say, are like very main characters and have a lot to do, have slightly less to do in the second season and are more kind of focused on finding Barb and this kind of quest for like you know justice for Barb and and Steve is kind of less bothered by this which is I would say one of the reasons why they kind of break up is oh yeah but Nancy is like driven by you know the, the reason that they like I mean it's a bit sketched over this kind of this storyline which is a bit irritating but still it, I, I love the show I can't begrudge them having to try and get multiple things mm. fit in but you know they very quickly you know go to this do this this, this conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory dude and are like right let's expose it and then it gets exposed and Bob gets you know the people in working in the lab get punished for basically being part of Bob's, de- Bob's death yeah even if it's not explicitly for the reason that it actually was so I kind of figured that Bob being alive just wouldn't make any... Like, why would they do that? Well, I think um, I think it was really clever, the scene where they went to the conspiracy theorist's house and they're trying to work out how they can tell Bob's parents and, like, the wider community the truth. Because a big part of the beginning of the second season is that everybody who was involved in all these it's, kind of extraterrestrial yeah. events have been told to keep them quiet and, mm. like, keep them a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I thought it was clever when the conspiracy theorist says to them that they need to water it down so they keep the element of the truth. It was a bit, I mean, it's definitely a good idea, but it was a bit ham-handed that when it was like, oh, I've yeah. got my vodka, water <laughs> it down with the soda. And then he like gave them a soda at the end and you're like, oh, it was very heavy-handed. That's true, but it was. But it was... It wasn't about it. It, was, like, it makes sense, that's what it you was would a do. Good, it was a good solution, I felt, to... Yeah, like well, and, and I think they still de- definitely dealt with the tragedy of Barbara. You know, when you were in her house, and, like all the pictures of her, and the family like selling their house yeah, in order to oh, pay terrible. like a basically like a like a you know joke PI. Yeah, and I remember um, in the fir- at the end of the first season when Nancy essentially surprises you by choosing John- Steve, Steve, oh yeah, over Jonathan. Um, one of the things that someone said to me is they they were like, oh. um... Because I was like, I can't believe she chose Steve. Because at that point, obviously, everyone was very negative. Although he kind of redeemed himself a bit at the end of the first season. He's still very much, like, not a hugely nice uh, guy. Oh, yeah. Um, at that point. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll come to his... Uh, we'll come to Steve. Yeah. Do not worry. Um, so, what? Well, yeah. So, so someone said to me that perhaps the reason why she chose 
Steve to begin with was because she actually felt really guilty about Barb's death and in some ways felt that if she hadn't you know, if she didn't end up with Steve, it wouldn't not be worth it. Oh, you know well, what I mean? she, like, you know, she, you know, her relationship with Steve was what, what Barb kind of not sacrificed her life for. No, but, but you could see it was indirectly kind yeah. of related. And equally, I think there's a sense of like she hasn't touched that at all. You know, she, she and Steve had this scene in the library where Steve's like, "You have to let it go. Like, you have to stop talking about it. Don't call her mum. Don't do anything because it's just not worth it." And I think I get the sense that Nancy had been trying to forget and been trying to live a normal life and then when she and Jonathan run off Nancy changes very quickly and morphs into this very like not she was always strong but a very like determined she becomes very purposeful after she leaves and goes off with Jonathan because I think it's you know the guy says the you know the weirdly insightful very 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 insightful he says you're trying to pretend you're something you're not and I think actually like being with Steve makes maybe made sense for Nancy at the time because after what happened with Barb she maybe owes Barb that equally that's the easiest thing to do to like try and pretend everything's fine yeah. and with Jonathan it's actually like accepting that they'd come closer and remembering everything about Barb they'd gone through and then when they go off with Barb when they go off together I'm like right that's Nancy like accepting what she actually wants to do and I think also yeah partly accepting what she went through because one of the things the conspiracy theorist said was you know when he was sort of listing the reasons why they should be together mm. and one of them was shared trauma because like you know if she, both, was, yeah. if she was with Jonathan then every day should be reminded of what happened to Will and indirectly be reminded about Bob. So I think that, um, yeah, it was. It, I found that to be a pretty good kind of uh, ending to Barb's yeah. storyline. And then the fact that like she and Jonathan brought together by finding justice for Barb, and that's actually Nancy's. Like Nancy becomes very. She's all. She's always strong, but Nancy becomes very grounded and settled after that. Like enough to like support Jonathan through the you know exercising of Will. Oh, the exorcist that comes from the exorcist, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? And the sticking the poker in Will, like, (laughs) you know, I think Nancy really finds her strength in accepting what happened to Barb and accepting that, and also the, you know, imagine the relief in feeling that you've managed to get justice for your friend. So the the whole point is that I think that that story, I mean, as much as we would love for Barb, I mean, some people would love for Barb to come back, I suppose. I never thought she was that interesting. No hate on the actress. I think she's awesome, but she's, the Barb is the, Barb is the character who dies. Just like there are plenty of other characters killed by the Gormagon that you don't... The Demogorgon. I keep calling it the Gormagon. I don't know why. Demogorgon. Um, if you know what Gormagon is, let me know. Because I have oh, literally no, I idea, I have no idea where that no, came okay. from. Uh, Demogorgon. Um, and you don't see them. Like, it kills plenty of people, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it's because you become, you know... Yeah, it, I she think became a bit of a meme, didn't she? Yeah, and she kind of symbolised yeah that sort of feeling that everybody's been through. But I think... Um, yeah, you know, you never know with Stranger Things what they might bring out of the bag. I the really don't think it's going to be but the harm. I think they, if they did do that, they'd probably be accused of like, um, you know, pandering to critics because and fan servicing. Because stuff, like, so. it just doesn't make any sense. Like, if Barb came back, like, they would uproot Nancy's oh. story, and <laughs> I think she's pretty dead. Yeah, she looked well, pretty dead. But obviously, the key point about this is that we're all forgetting about the actual key characters who are still in it. And the great thing about this season is we get a lot more rich insight into characters we didn't see much of last season. Um, and I could see Dustin's mom and the cat. Ooh, the cat. Um, yeah, Lucas is like very sassy sister. Oh my God, I hated his sister. What <laughs> a cow. Like but again, I have what? sisters like that. She was oh. <laughs> wholly unhelpful. Like, shut up, stupid sister. But again, it's just because little sisters are annoying. You could relate to it. Yeah, and the moment where the dad was like, your mom's always right. It's always amusing. And then also Steve gets a bit more time to shine. 
I think we'll talk about more about Steve later. Um, and then particularly, I think, obviously the key character here is Hopper 11, um, Mike a little bit, because obviously, but, and Mike a little bit, and then particularly Will. I think actually Hopper, Will, and Eleven. And Joyce, mm, Joyce kind of does the same thing, but the three of them are really in a new place, particularly. Yeah, that's very true, because, you know, from, from in the first episodes, we learn that Eleven is living with Hopper. As adoptive dad. <laughs> and, you know, there are some really sweet, really kind of moments that show a lot like of... Like the half-happy discussion. Yeah, a lot of, like, you know, emotional depth for the two of them and a lot of bonding. And then there are some really quite complicated and... Emotional and yeah, raw and scenes. Kind yeah. of, you know, sort of difficult scenes where he's basically keeping her locked up. And obviously he's doing it from a place of protection, but it is causing her a lot of And she is anger. only uh, 13, you know, and you kind of look at Eleven and you think because she's so... I think she seems very unsure what's going on. I mean, she, she doesn't fit in the outside world because she doesn't understand and she has never lived in it. And that's a matter of learning. But, and, but that sort of, like, helplessness is completely overshadowed by the fact that she's so powerful with her men- with her fit with her mental powers that like she can kind of op anyone who tries to get her after her in the end so i look at 11 and you know actually when she was having these little you know breakdowns and tantrums you know and obviously it's justified that she feels trapped and but the fact is that you know she doesn't wholly i think understand why she has to be careful because as a kid you kind of think you're invincible i think and actually seeing 11 go through these like you know, basically blazing fights between, which are very, like, I think, dad-daughter kind of fights. Mm. Um, like, the actual yelling and the, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, she traps his foot and, you know. I think it's actually very indicative of seeing, or remembering that Eleven is actually still a 12-year-old girl in this who is, you know, mentally not that wholly matured yet. And she has this great power that gives her a lot of, you know, wheel, gives her a lot of, like, what's the word? Um, gives her a lot of pull and wait but equally it makes you forget that she's still really really young i think yeah and i think uh, millie bobby brown acts that very well because you you always believe that she has this incredible control over her powers and this incredible ability to kind of do whatever she wants but also that she's got this this like innocence about her that she's kind of discovering this world for the first time and also is in other aspects just a normal like child girl yeah who's who's not getting what she wants who's not getting to see her friends who's unhappy who's also kind of growing and discovering this world and i think she plays all that very well and yeah and getting to see 11 actually try and adapt and i know people didn't like the standalone episode where she found her sister but i agree with the duffer brothers and they were like we took it out and it didn't make any sense you had me have to sit through and watch 11 on her own go out there and maybe you know, nearly make a mistake with nearly joining the gang for good mm. and then realising what she actually cared about and overcoming her fear of losing her friends and having this emotional journey that I think she probably, you know, I think she it had Hopper... Well, I, I also think that, like, the reason that she went off on her own is so that the Hopper couldn't use her because, as we know, someone said that... Someone in a review said that had Eleven been there, there would have been no fight at all because Eleven would have OP'd all the, all the Demogorgons from the get-go so 11 yeah, had to they had to kind of be there for plot wise they had to keep her separate from everybody else so they had to have her kind of wander but off I, I yeah i did not enjoy that episode where she went and found her sort of somewhat sister as much as i enjoyed everything else but i did think that it worked in terms of her character development of like her realizing she had a sense of right or wrong mm. kind of sussing out what she wanted in the world and also the kind of 
feelings of the sort of, yeah, the fatherly feelings that she had for Hopper and what that meant and how she wanted yeah, to come back. definitely. So I think that was a great thing that I liked about the season, what they gave us from Eleven. And equally from Hopper. Because Hopper, I think, wasn't very... He grew from being two, one-dimensional to two-dimensional to three-dimensional as you realise just how far he's willing to go. Yeah. And how smart he is and how he wants to punch everything inside. Yeah, that, he, <laughs> it, that you know, he wasn't just this kind... I think, you know, maybe at the beginning he was like the caricature of the... You know the the guy. The grumpy chief. He drinks a lot and smokes a lot. He eats donuts. Kind of, yeah, um, and you know you really really get a sense of like how much he cares about her, and also how much he cares about Will. You know, and, and the other kids as well, and like yeah, you know, he, sorting things out. Like he has this determination that will not stop him. Hence yeah. why he goes into the tunnels on his own, like a moron. And I think that seeing Hopper actually go through his own like redemption in finding Eleven as his, I find. But a finding eleven, and then basically trying to raise her himself and to try and look after her, um, as well as supporting everyone else in the town and never giving up. I think being able to kind of see his relationship with eleven grow into that softer side of him was really, really great. And yeah, again, yeah. I think it helps him at the end when Joyce is leaning on him for comfort and when he's actually starting to understand Eleven's needs as a growing girl, you know, who was going into teenage years and that kind of thing. I think it's you know, Dad Hopper is great. Like again, he gets some more time to. You know, I think he plays his character very thoughtfully, and I think have, giving him more time to grow as well is a great thing about the show. And then Will, who was not in the show at all, basically the first season, because he spends most of it because he's he's lost, yeah. He spent most of it's a disembodied voice, and this one actually leans very heavily on his performance Definitely. as a possessed kid. And yeah. I have to say, like Noah Schnapp does Noah Schnapp Schnapp. I think Schnapp Schnapp. Yeah. He does absolutely amazing job. Oh yeah, I mean he's he. The difference when he's just being, he's just playing Will versus when he's playing, you know, he's essentially playing the shadow monster that's supposed to have possessed him. He's very, very eerie, very creepy. And, you know, he, I, I can't imagine like acting something like that as a 12 year old. He's, he's <laughs> younger than all, he's younger than all the rest of them as well. That's why yeah. he's quite small because he is genuinely younger. But he, I thought, yeah, he just portrayed those emotional nuances so well and like, yeah, I mean, he's clearly, as they all are, very, very talented. Yeah, I mean, as definitely as. I think Millie Bobby Brown's performance carried the show last year in that she's very good and she barely spoke for a good three yeah. quarters of the season. And I think people were talking at the time about Millie Bobby Brown's ability to act while not speaking. Mm. Um, and then now, obviously, she's doing a bit more, but I saw a lot of her acting does come through her face and from her silences. Yeah. But actually, the re- it's much more, I think there's a lot more heavy ensemble cast this season, which was good because they can't do everything the same and they, you know, as they as they do point out with the derivative comment that they are basically doing the same story over again and they have to the show I think that's good what makes the show great is it's aware of the traps it could fall into and if it, even if it falls into them a bit it does other things to kind of keep it exciting for yeah, you yeah and I think the reason they can you know they won like an award for best ensemble cast like I think the reason that they can rely on lots of different people to do lots of different things is because they have that talent and you care about all the characters like, yeah. you're quite happy if, you know, if there was, I mean, some episodes, like, Eleven was in it, not a huge amount, but you were still it's okay, invested you can see in other the characters. other characters. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I read this thing today that was saying, if you're a writer, don't subordinate your character to the plot, because in the end, a reader will endure a lot of plot weirdness for a character they love. And I think that's definitely what Change Things is strong with, is this, and also, the, I mean, the actors they've chosen are amazing. Yeah, I think that everybody in the show has this kind of naturalism about the way they act and the way they interact with each other that helps really sell what is a kind of slightly crazy sci-fi storyline, you know, yeah. that you never sort of sit there being like, whoa, you know, he's like keeping a random 
alien dog in his house. Like you just kind of go with it because it's fun and you know you're enjoying watching it. Yeah, but yeah. And so our other fan theory, um, well, was more of a kind of more of just a, a good point that neither Helen or I really thought of because neither of us have seen E.T. Right. No, E.T. E. the extra So the reason I haven't seen E.T. is because my brother, when he was, so my brother was younger than me, and he watched it, like, with my mum one time when I was all, like, away or something, when he was a kid. And apparently, oh, I feel like I maybe shouldn't share this, like, vaguely embarrassing story, but that it, apparently that it was really upsetting, and he was really sad. Bearing in mind, he was, I think he was about five. E.T. is a sad yeah. film, I know So this. I think that kind of put me off watching oh, it shamed. Your brother's been shamed. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no shame, don't worry. No, but this is, he's not the only person who told me that. Like, lots mm. of people said to me it was very emotional. Obviously, I think I could watch it well, now, and they, it'd be fine. But, but, but... they like, they nearly, like... It's where the whole, like, the government will experiment on you yeah, thing comes from, isn't it? and they, like, take it? him away, and then, like, he's befriended the boy, and, like... So, I, although I haven't seen it's the really, I have seen bits of it. There's a lot of mild peril. Yeah, definitely. You know how much kids hate mild peril? And, like, you know, to, to sort of, yeah, preface this, which I feel like is our favourite weird phrase that we seem to say. Preface everything. I don't know why. Um, Addendum. Disclaimer. Yeah, I, I really love, like, 80s films, like you know you will yeah you know this like i have my uh, breakfast club t-shirt oh, and, classic. yeah so i really i really love like john hughes films although i will yeah add, just preface that by saying that <laughs> preface a, lot, preface. a lot of them are very uh, politically incorrect like when you watch them now oh, like, yeah. which i think i've definitely found to be more of a problem like when oh, i rewatch them now um but the point is et the point is neither seen et yes yeah. and our friend Faye. hey Faye. yeah so Faye um said to me Let's find it. Wait a second. She's also been messaging me about other things. So, <laughs> Faye is our friend as well as our Yeah, fan. not a random fan that Faye has been messaging. <laughs> she says, um, she says, I really like the E.T. preferences in Stranger Things. I like how they made Eleven a more darker version of E.T. And then she gives the example of the first season um, when they're riding the bikes away from the government officials. And in the movie E.T., E.T. lifts the bikes over the vans. Whereas in Stranger Things, Eleven flips the van over the bikes instead. So it's a kind of more darker, slightly more kind of aggressive move, I suppose. Um, oh, yeah. But then that she says sense. she also keeps the same childish innocentness, like when she comes out in the ghost costume because she wants to go trick-or-treating, which is a very adorable and cute yeah. moment. But, um, and she said that reminds her of E.T. when they take E.T. out trick-or-treating in disguise. So that was, um, yeah, like a really, a really interesting point because I guess Eleven, particularly in the first series, has that kind of... She she almost is like she's come from another planet because she has no understanding of like human behaviour mm-hmm. or culture or mm-hmm. and she's kind of learning it and also yeah. she does a lot of hiding in the house as well. She does, and a lot of riding around on bikes. Yeah. Dressed in various costumes. Yeah. yeah. So I think and I think it's definitely a great thing about the show is that you're able to reconcile the characters with old T V tropes. People I, I, my friend's dad he loves TV tropes. Like, I think it helps him bring him closer to a film or a show if he can identify like little Easter eggs. Yeah. Um, especially for older fans, I think it's great. And especially, and equally, like bringing younger fans into the kind of joy of watching eighties, uh, those kind of eighties kids films with like the what is it? The really kind of like synthy soundtracks and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's like with you know, there's homages to other horror films like The Exorcist with. Like I said before, with Will being exercised. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of, like, possessed children films. Yeah. Are kind of, kind of referenced. And then, and... also, it was a really interesting theory that my friend told me about, which is um, with It. So, obviously, Finn Wolfhard, who plays Mike, is in It as well. Mm. Haven't watched It. Probably won't. We, we talked about that last episode. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. And um, I think the theory is that Bob, so Joy's... Joy's? 
Joy, Joyce's, Joyce's, Joyce's um, boyfriend, Bob, who is a very nice guy, works at Radio Shack, very unassuming, he comes up in the second season and just kind of like hangs around, you think he's evil, he's not. Um, They think, she thinks that he is one of the kids from an It experience, because he says that his nightmare is a clown. And he says, you know, obviously he makes Alec his nightmare, but he turns around and says to the clown, uh, you know, I am not afraid of you. I am not afraid of you. And that's how you beat the Pennywise from oh, It. Oh, really? And that's kind of why he gives him his advice. And then it also, you know, I think the timeline is maybe, you know, obviously Pennywise comes out every 27 years, so it could have happened in Bob's childhood. And again, it's another link to another 80s-ish show yeah. film that, again, is what is you know Stephen King novels kind of really do inspire shows like well I think Stranger Things the Duffer brothers who are the creators of Stranger Things have been very very open about all these references um, yeah you know the guy who plays Bob is in the movie um the, is the Goonies I think it is yeah and all the rings but um, that's not an 80s film but, but the Goonies yeah yes. where, and he was a kid in that and they're like looking for buried treasure so you know when he makes that reference where he said or the, he, he says when he's like, looking at Will's map mm. oh is there treasure at the end of it like yeah he's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I Sorry for the pounding footsteps, by the way, everybody. It's my father running up and down the stairs in his massive boots. Um, yeah, and I think that's actually what gives the show a lot of clout, I think. I think everyone enjoys that. I mean, like, there's, so there, there are lots of examples that come to mind, but I think two of my favourites, because they reference things that I had seen and, you know, mm. was more aware of, was when... So when... Har- Wait, is it Hopper or Harper? Hopper, Hopper. I think it's because Americans... Harper, like, Harper. yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, that's what I thought, but I was confused, yeah. So Hopper... Um, goes for some weird reason into the tunnels alone and doesn't tell anybody classic hopper um, and he's gonna punch his way he nearly gets kind of like you know swallowed by the sort of tentacles of this like these roots of the the, the tunnels um and then it's very indiana jones because he's got his like torch that he's oh kind of shining, and then he grabs his hat and then he grabs his hat and i thought that was that was a really nice nod um and then the other one is i mean we'll come back to this later i think when we talk about characters but the very last scene of the film of the sorry of the series, which is almost does almost play out more like a film, um, is the all the kids are at the snowball like the middle school ball, yeah. And um so when Eleven kind of walks in, she very much has her like Molly Ringwald and like pretty and pink moment. Oh. Like she sort of walks in and she's wearing this nice dress. And, yeah. Like, um but yeah, so I, I enjoy how they kind of they mix in so many different genres. You know, you've got the horror the kind of adventure, like, kids' film sort of thing. And then you've got, like, the high school movies, like, when, you you know, you have Steve and Nancy go to that party. and Oh, yeah, it's like, very, it was very, um like, clueless mixed with um, 10 Things I Hate About You, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so there's there's lots of, like, different things going on. Um, and probably a good way to, like, wrap this up is, like, so when we have one of our new characters in the series, um, Max, is being told the Max. story of what happens by Lucas, and Lucas like tells her all about like what's happened to Will, and then she's like, "Yeah, I liked it, but it was quite derivative in parts." Which is kind of like the classic Stranger Things criticism in that like it is, it is derivative on purpose. And we were discussing just before we started the podcast, like whether we thought would it still be successful, would it still be as popular and as kind of cool as it is if it was just set in like present day, and if it wasn't so eighties and pop culture, yeah. people adore like the soundtrack is genuinely masterful. It's really oh, good. Yeah. Both the music, the modern, well, the eighties music we choose to play, and the actual um, instrumental soundtrack, really like synthy and like atmospheric. Oh, yeah, and it's, atmospheric. it's really great, and that really helps to elevate it. Um, I think Thor Ragnarok has the same synthy eighties instrumental soundtrack, um, and it gives it a lot of cool. Like, that film is really cool. 
it's very like slick and I think it's kind of because people are aware that that 80s music sounds cool to people at the minute particularly given the fact that David Bowie died recently blah 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 so I think like a year ago yeah but well, still my so god was it a year ago over wow. a year ago yeah wow. I feel like everyone's still going on about it which is fair he was cool but and I think that's kind of yeah that's the thing like without those influences and like the nostalgia as well the show obviously wouldn't be any wouldn't be what it is so it's kind of a moot point but still like there is an incredibly important part of the show this nostalgia and 80s-ness and the mixing of genres that everyone can get like there isn't really that many people who can't get behind stranger things yeah and i think yeah i i, I think it's a great big a great big part of it i don't know what i'm saying yeah <laughs> a great part of it that, yeah you know it shouldn't really be levied as a criticism and also actually a lot of stuff that happens if you suddenly set it in the present day and you had social media and phones oh blah. it wouldn't work social you know? media ruins it so like <sighs> you know the fact they use their walkie talkies and I think for a lot of people so it either harks back to perhaps their childhood or the good old days um, yeah. or for us it kind of it's an idyllic small town American yeah. life, isn't it, in some ways? Idyllic apart from the awful horror stuff that happens. <laughs> apart from the terrible plague of the, you know... But they're going on your bikes and the and Yeah, the cycling to your friend's house. And, and I think we've all, you know, experienced that to a degree. And, mm. like, it is that kind of comforting, like, oh, I'm watching this, like, a classic American movie where those are like the tropes of the kids on the bikes and the train tracks like when they're walking down the train tracks and the and the trees and like the yeah i think it's it's kind of unfettered by the it's not weighed down by the kind of issues that we're facing today of dare i say fake news i hate that term but i think everything nowadays is sort of everything modern is sort of like tinged with this like dark lining of you know, the kind of social problems that we're facing and the fact that everyone always is like, has criticisms or calls something fake. And this show has like an, a genuine heart to it that I think a lot of shows nowadays shy away from because it's too difficult to actually make it realistic having a true, like, pure heart of a show. Like, you know, like, I think Parks and Rec did it, but that was with more adults and it wasn't, again, it wasn't really fettered by social well, media and stuff. So I think the modern issues that we face today kind of, are so dark that a show like this set in the 80s can give you a real sense of like light yeah i guess you know you can i guess it doesn't you, you never watch it and get kind of weighed down by thinking about um anything negative kind of in the real world i mm. suppose because while the characters have very real emotions and real reactions to things and problems that we can still, identify with like you know girl doesn't like me etc yeah it's still escapism and I think that's at its core, and that's one of the reasons it's so enjoyable. So, carrying on from our kind of discussion about the place of the show in, you know, the... Cultural in pop context. culture and context. Yeah. Actually, what's something that we've been seeing quite a lot, and I think has been quite, not worrying, but is a darker side of what, of the kind of uh, attention the show is getting, yeah. is the... And misappropriation isn't the right kind of word, but the mistreatment of the younger cast by the media and by people within the media and, and also Oof. yeah and not only the media also viewers mm. because a lot of um you know what we're basically talking about is people who you know tweeting pictures of millie bobby brown at the premiere where you know she's she's she just looks like she's dressing up and she looks she looks great but she like, looks cool as yeah. always millie bobby brown does she just looks like a cool 13 year old mm. but you've got some kind of people who are then being like oh look how much she's grown up and and kind of making a point of like 
you know, singling out her, well, how her appearance has changed, you know, or her maturity or her lack. And, and you would think about, and you know, and also the the pressure the cast are under. I think particularly there was some commentary as well about some. Obviously, there are teenagers who watch the show and who love the cast because they're their contemporaries, and that's fine. But teenagers obviously have as much capability to go nuts as adults do, and. I think there was obviously some kids out where he was near his hotel and they spotted him and they were like, Finn, Finn, Finn. And he just basically like was going about his business quietly. And then they were being like, that was really rude. And they were kind of spreading on Twitter that Finn was awful and mm. he wasn't a nice person. And then one of the other cast members, I think it was actually Barb. Yeah, she she seems great on Twitter. Yeah, she was like, it. literally, guys, he's 14. He's going about his day. He does not owe you anything. Leave him alone. And I think he also did say hi quietly. But then these kids, these are, these are children. They're not fully fledged adults are not mature they are acting and still going to school and as fun and like carefree and like intelligent and mature as they might seem they are still children who have legal protections as children i think there's like lack of respect for that and people comment a lot on like their appearances they sexualize finn there's been a a 27 year old instagram influencer who did that and it was pretty gross and it was like he's 14 dude stop and with millie as well like it's like, can't you, like, suspend your traditional media commentary for what are basically just five, six very famous children? I think one thing, yeah, well, it's very disturbing and kind of just highlighting this very strange thing of, like, can't we just, yeah, can't we just let children be children, you know? Like, imagine being a 13-year-old and being thrust into the spotlight. I mean, just think about you and you yourself were 13. And then imagine all these random people you've never met making comments about your appearance and mm. how mature you seem, or how immature, like, whichever way, you know, you go in. It's just, yeah. it's very creepy. And, um, you think, know, you don't have to, you know, you have to treat them like, you don't have to walk on eggshells with them. Like, I think they get they get a lot of intelligent discussion when they're on, um, uh, when they're on chat shows, and they're doing interviews. And I think, you know, moderate, most of the time people are respectful, but some people are just, it's like you really, you, they're, they're children, you have to be even more careful. Like we were saying, that girl who basically was like perving on Finn, who's 14 years old, we're going on 15, and we thought if it was a, man who's 27 years old perving on Millie Bobby Brown same age gap that would be wholly paedophilic and we wouldn't have it and just because this girl feels like she's a girl and therefore it's harmless it's like it's not harmless these it's it's really not yeah and I think you know everybody feels very strongly that you know these are like these really talented kids who have done this really great thing at such a young age and you want they work really hard too yeah you want them to grow up and be happy whether that's that they continue working in the acting industry or they do something totally different Mm. you don't want them to feel like their childhood was ruined by people you know sexualizing them from an age far too young age and so like, that's very disturbing yeah, and you can imagine them being mobbed when they go places yeah. and i i like, cannot imagine how that must i feel. mean it kind of comes it's, it's like two sides to me because sometimes i think celebrities love their celebrity and i'm like you need to stop but equally just because they're actors it's not like they're korean pop idols you know where it's a very different it's a very different system and uh, you know their whole lives are o- turned over to celebrity it's different these are working actors who are working and fine they I think they do have to accept the publicity and the talking to fans because they are in the public eye I get that but equally I don't think they deserve to have themselves mobbed by people who can't keep their cool because in the end you wouldn't mob like your local bin man (laughs) and it's the same thing they're they're workers yeah just normal people and yeah I think it's that uh, one thing that I guess these kids are experiencing that maybe former child stars haven't to the same degree is of course social media you know they are kind of not only are they you seeing pictures of them in like a newspaper or something you're seeing them all the time yeah and i guess that can yeah kind of affect how people view it but one one uh, i suppose 
you know, uh, nice Plus, yeah, positive upside, thing, I yeah. suppose is the is I can't do and that's quite the right word, but you know, one advantage of one thing we've seen come out of this is is actually people stepping out and being like, This isn't right. Which yeah. is great. Mm-hmm. Um and there's been a lot of like figures, so like Barb, the Shannon Purser, the actor who who plays her, like came out and said that, you know, you can't do this and um you know this isn't this isn't how you should treat people of this age. But also um Mara Wilson, who is she played Matilda when she was about 10. Yeah, and there's Miracle um, on 34th Street. Yeah, well, so she was in. very, very famous as a child in the 90s. And she's now written a book, which I've read, which I would really recommend. Mm-hmm. It's called Where Am I Now? And it's like thoughts and reflections on growing up. And it's about kind of growing up in the public eye. And she basically didn't really... She didn't do a film after the age of 13 because she decided to kind of opt out of that industry. Like She basically said that when she was a teenager, like going through puberty, she wasn't considered like attractive and so therefore actually people weren't hiring her which is just really disturbing like it's nothing to do but with it's her true like actually millie bobby brown's able ability to glam up and the styling that she herself is very good at i think i think millie bobby brown seems like a very stylish person mm. um and the glamming up i mean that she can look very like put together you know with a makeup artist and everything when she goes to, i think that has a different effect because people look at her and they're like a young woman and it's like no she's had she been like getting braces and stuff you would be able to see the childishness that's still yeah. there that she still is allowed to have you know so mara wilson sort of purposefully like yeah she just decided to opt it out that was her decision but she she's really great on twitter as well i like, mm. would thoroughly recommend um following her but she made some she just came out with some really interesting points which i'm just gonna like quickly read i did have this up and then i was gone oh here we go um so yeah like that this guy um posted saying like millie bobby brown just grew up in front of our eyes she's 13 with like pictures of her at like the premiere and she is wearing a very cool outfit she's just very, wearing a cool outfit it's very grown cool up looking kid, i suppose but, but you know she's wearing makeup put on her by a makeup artist like it's a look yeah she's still not an adult she's 13 and so mara wilson tweeted the people that were mostly a threat to me as a child were not Hollywood insiders, but grown-up male fans. It does not feel good to have a strange man comment on your body when you're 13, whether in a positive or negative way. And she puts positive and negative in quotation marks. Mm. You were repeatedly told that you dress too young or you dress too old. It's not just the Hollywood insiders that take advantage, it's the media as well. Um, so it's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, she basically says, like, there are lots of advantages to being a child star. Like, she points out that she was able to go to college and, like, fund that herself. Um but and doing work that you love as well yeah but she just basically says that like this kind of narrative of like you know if 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 they thought that millie bobby brown didn't look glamorous enough like they would make a comment about it i mean mm. it's like you can't just take the narr- take the i mean the commentary on women in the media particularly is horrendous to be fair anyway but to put that on a child is so obviously wrong and out of and just not cool that the fact that people do that essentially people people misappropriating the protection that and respect that child actors in particularly deserve as minors for the clicks and for the hits is just disgusting it's very disturbing but yeah as i said it's it's heartening i think heartening is probably the word i was looking for earlier it's heartening to me that the discussion's there yeah Yeah. it's bringing out this discussion and it's kind of people are coming out and defending them and it it makes me think that hopefully these kids have a lot of like great people around them who will protect them from yeah like this crazy insane fame that like we can understand they have people to talk to i feel like mara wilson probably didn't have many people yeah 
like even Share someone like Winona though. Ryder, who was an actress as a child, like I'm sure she's very protective of them, and you know comes uh, in with her. And I feel like um, David. His name's not David Oakes. Um, David Hopper. Yeah. No, that's not his name. What's he called? David Harbour. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god. Which is very similar. It's very similar. Yeah. So in the end, I think you know to round off our whole discussion about Stranger Things and move on to something a bit more light in a second. Um, if you're watching Stranger Things and if you love the cast and if you want to talk about them and to interact with them, just Really do keep in mind that they are they are still young people. Yeah, and I think as we said, you can still you can still be like, wow, Millie Bobby Brown looks looks really cool. You would know, you turn around to your thirteen year old sister and say, sexy? No, you would no, not. You in no way. I would want my. I mean, I want my little sister who's seventeen now to, you know, keep her child as much as possible. As a reason they say don't grow up too fast. And I think the issue with being a child actress or actor, a child actor overall, is that you're expected to be. An adult because to be able to understand the world as an adult because suddenly you've joined an adult profession and it's absolutely not what the thing is so yeah. just, just don't click on these articles don't read them go and watch a video of millie boy brown on a chat show and just adore how like cute and kind of intelligent she is yeah absolutely you know? and same and same for the, the guys the boys as, well. as well yeah, yeah. and if you want to sexualize anybody i don't know go objectify the guy who plays billy he has a six pack and he's like 22 <laughs> So, I mean, it's not great, but, you know, at least he's of age, you know? He could probably beat you up if you were being creepy. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> yes. So, for a little lighter topic, um, what a big question that's been going around my office, at least, has been, are you more, would you date Steve or Jonathan? And obviously, it's actually a more difficult question than you would think, get the get-go. Because obviously, both have their pluses and minuses. And also, I think, so, well, you know, to give, like, sort of from the beginning... At first, like, Steve is very much like your kind of popular, typical, sort of like jockish kind of, mm. you know, 80s mean character that the girl that, you know, who's dating like this nice girl. But I mean, you see him break Jonathan's camera yeah. and like the heart just breaks for poor Jonathan. But then equally, Jonathan takes creepy photographs of Nancy naked. In. Oh, he's not. She's not naked. No, well, sorry, getting undressed. No, and I think that's the thing about Jonathan. I think I don't know. Jonathan, that's the thing that they have. Jonathan has this sort of like tortured. My brother is missing. I'm, you know, and he's such a good brother. Like he's such a good brother. No. He has the emotional depth that Steve doesn't have in the first season. So maybe in the first season you'd be like, oh yeah, obviously Jonathan. Yeah, but then a bit more recently, Steve has become ultimate dad. He's like a renaissance. Yeah. He does a renaissance, a hair renaissance, a character renaissance. And particularly when you pit him up against the new man in the show, Billy, who, who is, is the worst. Literally like the worst. We will not talk about him. Ever. He is the worst. He's not included in this question at all. No, obviously. Ew. But um, I think that's the thing. So now we're at this point where Steve is like the ultimate dad and Jonathan has less of a role to play as well because they really, in this, obviously in this season, they push harder on the characters we didn't see much of last yeah, season, which, like Lucas, Dustin. I think it was a really kind of almost like a brave move actually because you you know people were invested in the characters that we like Mike seen a and, lot about. you know Mike and um, Nancy and Jonathan like those are big three that were kind of yeah. late, leaned less hard but on but actually it was really nice because you know it's such a talented cast it was great to see more of everyone else and also great to have characters like Steve get more character development and we he got to see as much as his hair did <laughs> so this is the problem we're facing yeah so and it comes down to I don't I mean see I was thinking, like, Nancy and Jonathan work really well, right? Because Nancy likes Jonathan's seriousness. Like, I think they're both, like, very... Determined. They're, they're a bit OTT in some ways. They're very overdramatic. While Steve's more a bit, like, practical. And I like that, the fact that Steve just, like, gets his, like, batful of nails. It's like, right, Which gang. He, when, when Dustin's like, do you still have it? And it's literally in his, it is. his what, cup. What's he 
been there for a year. The booth. <laughs> what are you doing? Also, that band is technically Nancy's. He fully stole. He fully adopted it. Mm. And I think Steve's proven ability to take care of children. Like you know when he has the tea towel and he's like flinging the tea towel around, being like, "You will not do this." Um, and like I think that's the thing about Steve that like really like make me try to probably choose him because I'm like I think he's quite funny and like hearted, but equally like he's very like noble guy. But Jonathan is so tortured. Yeah, because I think so in season one, like I was very into Jonathan, and I've oh, been, I'm still into Jonathan. I've been rewatching season one, and like you know, he as you say, like he's such a good brother, which was so endearing, and, and such a good son, and a good son. You know, he really like holds that family together, and yeah, he's kind of he's kind of got that yeah that character in a again in like an eighties film or any like high school film who's really like almost too mature for the high school that he's stuck in. And he's so respectful of Nancy and like so thoughtful. Like when he put. Nancy to bed in this series after she, you know, has so, a sort of drunken life. Uh, but that's also a great thing about the two of them is that they don't exist in competition anymore. Like Jonathan, like obviously Jonathan and Steve have their beef, but I think it's more over the fact that Steve is genuinely like insulting his mum and his family, etc. That's why they don't get in the fight, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Um, so it's not so much over Nancy's honour because Nancy could fucking like, you know, sorry, Nancy could beat Steve yeah, up it's, about that it's herself. It's like probably their gen- gen- genuine like personality differences and yeah, like, they're not going to have to be friends, but equally like. I think they're both able to suspend their perhaps rivalry because it's really, obviously it's very juvenile and silly. And like, I think that's the, that's the kind of cool thing is that they're able to work together and to be different people and to be just as great as each other. Like in the end, the Steve versus Jonathan question really, I think Nancy should be dating Jonathan because she's much more, he's much more her type. Um, and that just makes sense. But equally, it's not to say that Steve is less worthy. Like Steve and Jonathan both exist in their own universes of awesome. Yeah. And I think, um, by the end of by the end of series two, both Steve and Jonathan, because I think Jonathan was always mature and had always kind of. Oh, obviously, I think he had to take care of his family more. His dad was gone. His mom works really, really hard. You know, that kind yeah. Of thing. So he'd always kind of grown up and you know sort of had that role. Yeah, Whereas I think Steve, Steve yeah. had definitely been more of like the layabout, you know, high schooler who has the party when his parents are home. Oh, sorry, aren't home. But also, like, doesn't understand what it is like to struggle. And then, of course, after I think. A big part of like this, you know, battling the demagogue and even like you say, looking after the kids and stuff, mm. probably makes him mature more, and therefore makes him more. Of an, I think what I'm basically trying to say is that I would not be surprised if they don't stick to the Nancy Jonathan pairing, and that next season there's some more kind of, you know, oh maybe, you know. I think I think they'll stick to the Nancy Jonathan pairing. I don't know, but that last look where he like looks at her when she's in the dance. You know, when he drops off Dustin and he kind of looks... Yeah, but I think that's... But I think Nancy and Jonathan are pretty, like, solid together. I would want to see Steve have... I'd want to see Steve find his own find his own happiness in, like, not being stuck in the town. Because, you know, he's trying to do his yeah, college application yeah. and stuff. I think Steve... His college something. application, though, wasn't oh, very successful. <laughs> see, I think that, like, emotional growth for Steve and happiness can come from, like, being Dustin's, like, adopted big brother yeah, and... Yeah, that was very sweet. Like, I don't need Steve to be with Nancy. I think I need Steve just to be Steve. Yeah, no, I mean, well... And then I would be with Steve. Did, I think I'd choose He Steve. did pretty well. Yeah. I, I you can choose Jonathan, it's I think, chill. I think I probably would... I think, realistically, like, knowing me, I would choose Jonathan. See, I think I'd be attracted to, like, Steve's, like... He's very, like, a vivacious guy. And he's so present. Like, he just keeps turning up and has been like, Hey, guys, I'm... Or, like, you know, oh, I think he's, like, he protect. But he like, attack. I, mean, I feel like this is a diff- very difficult decision. Like, they're both, oh, I know, they're both great. Very appealing. We love them both. Yeah, so, Helena, what have you been enjoying this week? Oh, well, Book of Mormon's one thing. Um, 
I have been loving. I keep reading the subtle knife. Uh, if you, my my Twitter is sort of like you can access it through our our Twitter. So yeah. if you want to see what I've been doing, and basically, Will is my son. I adore him. Oh my gosh, he is like the best. It's weird because I, as I said, like I, I think I, I did not sure I said this last week, but I started the the his dark material series as an 11, 12 year old. These kids were my contemporaries and I was very much at a crush on Will and was like, he's so great. Oh my God, I want to go off an adventure with him. And now I'm older. I'm And obviously they're 12 and 11 in the book. I'm more like they are my children. <laughs> Protect them at all costs. Like I feel much more like very like protective and like maternal over them. Mm. So I'm really enjoying it because I'm connecting with these characters but in a slightly different way as an adult. And oh yeah, so I've been loving that. Um, I did have something else I wanted to say. Um, oh gosh, it's gone. Um, ooh! And my sort of, I'm a huge musicals fan. Um, I watched the Book of Mormon, you know, I've watched the Book of Mormon twice before, I still adore it. I listen to the soundtrack a lot, my musicals playlist soundtrack, musical playlist section of my iTunes is too big. Um, and I recently discovered Dear Evan Hansen, mm. um, which is by the creators of or composers of Rent and Next to Normal. And I think somebody else who recently did a really good show, was involved in it after the... Um, well, you can look it up. But I kind of discovered the music while hopping through Sheridan Smith's new music, and she does some covers of one of their songs. And I just... I love it. It's got this very, like, Jason Robert Brown, um, if you don't know who he is, look him up, musical style to it with a lot of, like, um, modern-y piano vibes, but still very musically, very Broadway, in that it's all very, like, heartening and well sung and anyway and I think it's the Dear Evan Hansen is basically all about a socially awkward teen who's looking to fit in and then a local boy commits suicide and he sort of like spins the story of him having been his very very good friend and no one knew about it and he starts to give like he gives like a speech I think about Connor the boy who killed himself and then it becomes a sensation and he becomes like a, a figurehead for not you know for the sense of not being alone and for you know reaching out and that kind of thing and obviously it starts to unravel and it's that you know and hit and it's played the guy who plays evan hansen is really really vocally talented and i he's won they've won like seven tonys and stuff so i've listened to that soundtrack especially the songs that evan hansen himself does his name is the guy who sings he's in pitch perfect the actor yeah he is does he play the cute boy that anna what's her face wants to be with is that who it is um I can't remember which. It does. Plays. It does he, ring he a bell. He plays one of one of the guys. Ben Platt. He is amazing, and also the next. It's very next to normally in terms of the kind of the way the songs are put together, and I love next to normal as well. And it's all very much about like teen issues, but as in very raw, proper teen issues, yeah. not just like it's about mental health and social anxiety. So I love that. I love that soundtrack. It's not in the UK yet, so I'll have to no, well, hopefully get pulled over. But because. Uh, yeah, I'm also a big fan of musicals, and I always have this debate over like, oh, do you listen to the soundtrack before you go and see the show? And yeah, I think yeah. with uh, Miss Saigon, which is one of our, both of our favourites, House um, Brother, I listened. King. I listened to the soundtrack before I went to see it because when I discovered the show, it wasn't on in the West End no, or Broadway. Even, yeah. So I was like, well, I'm not going to see it. And then it turned out they did actually bring it to the West End in a fantastic production with, yeah, Alistair Brown. But you didn't have the 2014 soundtrack, the 19, you had the 1989 yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, which is trying to change. And also Eva Nobizada, who is like amazing. So good. Um, getting to hear her on, yeah, getting her, her to hear. But I agree, like, I think for me, generally, I went to see Aladdin a couple of months ago. Great. Um, and I didn't listen to any of the music because A, I sort of know the music and B, I didn't want to hear anything extra or stylings and stuff. I didn't listen to that. 
didn't listen to Book of Mormon before I went to see it the first time mm. either. So if I have access to the show, I but generally yeah. will try and avoid it. But when you don't it. have access to it, I mean, yeah. I'm sure it will come to the UK at some point, but it might not come for like two years. Yeah, and for me, like musical soundtracks have the ability to be interesting and thought uh, enjoyable and yeah. um, what's the word when you tell stories? Na- have a narrative that I can understand without having seen the show. I think particularly if they are something where a lot of it is sung through. I don't know if that's the case with Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, yeah, I think quite a lot. In in musicals, the whole point is the big stuff happens in song. Yeah, but like I definitely... I found it a really interesting experience when I did it with Miss Saigon because it meant that I I had this like visualization of what I was imagining mm. because it's so it's like pretty much all sung through and then when I saw it on stage it was like really fun to see how that differed from what I yeah. imagined. Yeah. Anyway, so dear Evan Hansen and I'm still on the Northern Lights because honestly I'm on the Southern Lights now and I just will my child my son oh my god he's so great I forgot his fingers got cut off and I got so sad oh my god poor boy but anyway sorry for that. Um, yeah. Well. So I I finished Alias Grace, um, and the Netflix series has come out. I haven't seen any of it yet. It's um, got good reviews, I think. Yeah, Faye has recommended that we discuss it on the podcast, and that could be interesting because Helena, as she already made very clear, doesn't want to read any Margaret Atwood. Um, I will probably. No, no, but like, you, it would be interesting if like I've read... Because it's a bit of a... There's a bit of a mystery, very, very much a mystery to, to the story. Yeah. So if I was coming at the series having read it and know what happens and you didn't that could be an interesting comparison yeah so maybe we'll do that in a future episode so yeah um in terms of what else i've been enjoying yeah i think um there isn't anything like hugely different from what i've probably talked about in the past however this thursday i'm going to a preview preview screening of a new show called the marvelous mrs Maisel, which is by the creators of gilmore girls um which i love gilmore girls um oh don't get me started on the one like gilmore oh Carry on. Yeah, Helen doesn't like it. Yeah, that's uh, interesting because we often agree on things. We don't agree on that. I don't like the show's creator very much. Well, so I, I love Gilmore Girls. No, it's fair like enough. The ultimate, like, you know, comfort comfort watch, you know, no, kind yeah, of show. I get that. Um, but this, you, actually, you should, you should check out the pilot of this new show because okay. it's, it's very different from Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's on Amazon Prime called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And, you know, Amazon Prime have this thing where they release the... The release the pilots like several quite enough, like a random like time in the year and oh. you have to vote for which one you like and then oh, they'll make a show I did not know they did that yeah yeah they do that's quite smart yeah so I think it was kind of to be honest like the marvellous Mrs. Maisel which is a bit of a tongue twister I will say but anyway is she marvellous that would always have probably got green lit given that it was by these people who were like very well known for having made a very successful show yeah um but anyway they're bringing out the so that it got greenlit and they're bringing out the full season I think this week or next so I'm going to a preview screening uh, the main character Mrs. Maisel is played by this actress Rachel Brosnahan who was in Mad Men oh. um, she's she's quite like it's interesting because I feel like Amy Sherman Palladino tends to go for the all her like heroines dark haired fast talking yeah, women yeah so she's another dark haired fast talking woman um, and then yeah so I think it's going to be quite interesting because basically it's set in the 1950s in New York and it's about this woman whose husband like leaves her kind of goes off um and she realized it was the whole marriage is never really quite what she thought it was um and he wanted to be a stand-up comedian but she was basically the one with the actual stand-up com- comedy talents oh. so then she decides to pursue stand-up comedy in like the 1950s New York and that oh. is the plot of the show talk so about like um Miss Pettigrew this yeah, day. yeah, it is a bit like that, and it's, and it's got this kind of well, the first episodes had this kind of screwball comedy kind of vibe, um, 
but yeah, like I enjoyed it. It was quite random, but enjoyable. So yeah. I'm excited for this uh, preview screening and uh, cool. uh, to kind of hear what the creators have to say about it. Yeah, um, yeah Amy Sherman-Palladino is a bit kind of, she does come over quite eccentric, we would yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, um, Dana Gabaldon-esque, yeah. if I would say. <laughs> but Gilmore Girls, I love it. So yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I was going to say one more thing about the Gilmore Girls. Not about... Oh, so one thing I'm actually really excited for coming up is the Grand Tour, um, Top Gear, oh, coming right, back. Yeah. And obviously, like, it's not as up your street as it is up no. mine. Um, and the show is bonkers, but it's going to be as one of those shows where it is a, incredibly stupid and quite jingoistic, I think. Um, but it's fun. It's three white men being three white men, and I don't hate it, to be honest with you. So there's a prob- my problematic fave of the day okay. is Grand Tour. I'm excited. I like seeing them destroy stuff and cars and stuff you know yeah not not my thing not your thing but no. so that's one more thing to be excited about in the future but... yeah well we'll let you guys know what we're going to do next week as as you can see it is up for discussion it is if you have any thoughts or um requests feel free to contact us we are at real llw on twitter you can email us um loves labors watched no apostrophes or anything at gmail.com um if you want to tweet about us use the hashtag llw show so we can find you um, if you're out there, <laughs> um, and I think yeah, it'll probably be something. Uh, well, who knows? Actually, we we'll, we will decide, and we will let you know. We will let you know. But thanks for listening. As always, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>